Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes, check it out, and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Yosef Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just want to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest is coach and author Ryan Banta. Ryan is a successful high school coach at Parkway Central High School in Missouri in the USA. Ryan is a USA track and field level two coach in the sprints, hurdles, relays, and endurance, and also is certified as a US track and field CCCA track and field technical coach you can read through ryan's full bio in the show notes on this episode ryan and i discuss ryan's background and his influences i asked ryan how did he find his experience at altus as a participant and then later as a speaker i asked ryan what are the good and not so good things that he currently sees within the physical preparation profession and what solutions would he offer for the not so good things that he currently sees I then asked Ryan to discuss the five training systems that he covered in his presentation at Altus. Here we only had enough time to discuss the minimus and the adapt or die approaches, but don't worry, we will discuss the remaining three systems when Ryan comes back on for part two. Guys, this was a great episode with Ryan, and I hope you really, really enjoyed. All right, Banta, we're recording and we're live. By the way, your name is fucking cool, Ryan Banta. <laughs> Thanks, man. I had a... I had a um, Max Schmarzo, oh sorry, Ma- yeah, Ma- Max Schmarzo, Max Schmarzo, and Matt Van Dyke, uh, they were on my podcast there not too long ago, and they brought a book out called Isometrics for Performance, and I was just saying like, you know, Max Schmarzo and Matt Van Dyke, what two fucking cool movie <laughs> names, and here's me with just my fucking Robbie Bork, <laughs> my fucking big white Caucasian Irish <laughs> French descent name and these two boys come up with their glamour movie star names so so Panda's a pretty cool name as well I was actually just saying to myself today I was like if you were Irish you could call Leon the Panta that'd be your name <laughs> no that's, that's actually mine's Robert de Borca's Deli isn't it in Irish I should just actually yeah. call it that it sounds, it sounds a lot more uh, like Italian or French Absolutely. anyway what a what a weird intro to the show but Ryan listen um, for the uh, people are used to my weirdness at this stage for the listeners who aren't familiar with who you are, give us the whole background. All right. So, well, you know, I was, a, as a high schooler, I was a pretty frustrated sprinter. I spent a lot of time hurt and uh, I went on to a, a small college and, you know, that experience was not excellent, but I did learn quite a few things of like what to do and what not to do more importantly. 
And, uh, but college track and field was more of just something to do while I was getting my degree and, uh, got a degree in political science and a minor in history and Asian studies. And I got a lot of things done while I was in college, kind of came out of my shell, you know, took on a lot of leadership positions. So I thought, you know, the political route was going to be, uh, my career and actually had a job offer from one of the most powerful people currently in Washington. But uh, my dad, being a, a big guy but a softie at the same time, didn't want to see his son leave to Washington D.C. and kind of, you know, give me all the old cry talk. And I, and I figured, well, why don't I try to do this thing back in Missouri? And unfortunately, what they say about politics is true. It's a really, really dirty business, and uh, a lot of the people I was working for, I knew that in the long run, I'm not going to be able to continue to keep working for these people because mm. they don't, their values don't fit my lifestyle. And while I was doing that, um, I was supplementing that type of stuff back in Missouri in the political career with a job at uh, Sam's Club with the corporation. And they didn't really fit my values very much either. And um, they uh, wanted me to move out of town. So it was like I came back to St. Louis to do this and career in politics. That didn't work out because these guys were dirtballs. And then in the uh, my financial side of things, they were going to send me back out of town anyway. So I was kind of sitting there like, well, duh, I probably should have took the job in Washington, D.C. But anyway, my mom always told me, hey, I think you'd be really good in education. I think you'd be a good teacher. And my mom uh, was uh, an outstanding teacher in public schools in our area. So I didn't know. She had a pretty big reputation, positive reputation. And I was like, I don't know that I can live up to that and and everything. But I told her, I said, well, you know what? I'll go back and I'll, uh, you know, I'll go assist coaching with my, my former high school coach who I really liked a lot and uh, see if, you know, I can join up with him. And after about a week and a half of working with him, I realized this is the thing I want to do for the rest of my life. I've never been so fulfilled. I've never, and I know that sounds kind of corny or cliche, but it's true. And I knew that I wanted to do it for the rest of my life, but that meant I had to go back to about four more years of school to get, you know, the teacher certification and to do the to do all those things that were necessary. But meanwhile, while I was doing that, I ended up getting the opportunity to take on the girls uh, head coaching job over there at Parkway Central. And I was a bit of a disaster the first couple of years and thank God for my mentor. Um, but again, through those first uh, four to five years, I kind of learned what not to do and then started to put things together with uh, some good mentors and people like that that we'll talk about here, I'm sure later on in the conversation. Political science. Oh, we yeah. are we're gonna have a talk about politics. <laughs> I'm a fucking nut with American history. Don't know. I, I can I can name like all the US presidents back to back in order. I'll do it right now if you want me to, but this <laughs> no, is right. hopefully I've we'll seen. have a few more after this one because uh, <laughs> the moment. Let me Don, tell you. You don't you don't like the Don the Don Don? Uh, I mean, you know, they're they're always good things about most presidents, but uh this uh, one is yeah. you're struggling. You know that list where it has pros and cons, and one's like we're struggling on the pro side here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's savage. Great. I love when people give a good in depth, um, a good in depth background. You always get people go, well, blah, and they go, and you're like, that's it. Give me more. Yeah. That was good. Uh, influences, Ryan. So, who have been the biggest influences on you, both personally and professionally? So early on, um, going back to. Steve Warren, he, he was an influence because he showed me how to be a man. And most importantly, that, you know, you can always work kids hard and you might have some sort of understanding about the X's and O's, but he was really influential because it's, he took care of the things outside of practice, you know? Mm -hmm. So who are you as a man, the 20, 22, 21 and a half hours outside of practice? What do you do? How do you live your life? How do you balance the coaching aspect with also being a husband and a provider? And then more importantly, how do you manage the, the aspects of practice that nobody wants to do? Dealing with parents, dealing with paperwork, um, hosting competitions and, and track meets. So he was a really influence on me of how to, be a, how to be a man and do the things that a lot of people don't want to do. But moving on from him, you know, Dan Path has always been a huge influence um, from very, very early on when he started to share. And I know that this isn't necessarily... Um, you know, a popular thing to say necessarily in the world of training, but, you know, long the short system of Clyde Hart was also um, a big influence on me um, early on. And I met a coach who actually was probably the master of that system, Sean Burris, whose athlete was just featured recently in the IAAF under 20 
uh, championships who also kind of used, uh, you know, Clyde Hart's methods as a, as a focus. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we got out of that, out of the Clyde Hart system and Sean Burris's system is that the kids can work extraordinarily hard. And not necessarily that every athlete needs to go out there and run, you know, 20 times 200 or anything crazy like that. But the fact that don't be afraid to run the longer intervals, if that's specific to that athlete, you know, if they're a 200, 400 athlete and you're running flying thirties all the time, they're not going to be at the level that they need to be at. They may be extremely talented and can get it done, but that's not necessarily the best training for that. And that was kind of the system that I used first. And then as you get a little bit more advanced and a little better understanding, you know, you kind of buy into this all depends concept, which is more of what Dan Path talks about, which, you know, is a very wise statement, you know, and it frustrates a lot of young coaches because they want the specific answer. Tell me what to do on this day when the sun is at this zenith and at, you know, and at this angle. And I want to know if, you know, if it's a guy and he's got this, you know, these answers, well, you know, that's great. But again, it all depends on a lot of those different factors. And you need to be um, kind of a master of all the classic methods of training, you know, so that you can apply it best to those athletes. And, um, you know, and again, it depends on your circumstance. If you're a high school coach, there's probably a method that's best for you because you don't really know these kids. They're coming to you brand new and, and they're very unknown. So what's a system that works best at the beginning? And then as they reveal themselves to you, then you can start to move to, you know, more specific training that might suit them. And, you know, Dan in the way he's gone about it. And then Gary Winkler, who, you know, personally, I haven't had a ton of interaction with, but um, Gary, just the way he went about constructing training and advancing training and kind of putting it again, as we were talking about offline or before the conversation, mathematically, you know, that was his mindset, which is really interesting. He's a math degree guy who was a track coach who then now does artsy saddles and belt buckles and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see how his mind was able to balance the art and the science of coaching, which I really value and I think is is intriguing. So those are some of the biggest influences that I had. And would they be per, per personal influences as well as professional? Well, yeah, I mean, for for Dan, you know, I've spent a lot of time communicating with Dan and talking with Dan over the years, especially since the book has gotten kind of started. And when I took the process of of getting that done, he's been a very big personal influence of mine. And then more, uh, you know, I've had a chance to talk to Clyde, um, you know, but his structure and he shared a ton, you know, so Sean was more of that personal influence for me. And, you know, Sean and I coach together almost every day in the summer. Um, and he uses Clyde's methods and, um, but again, adapted to our situation and uh, adapted to now knowing a little bit more about training and science, that there are some things that, you know, aren't necessarily best practice. So you don't have to do them, but the things that are, um, we do apply and Sean, you know, from a X's and O's perspective has been the biggest influence on me, um, and what we can do as a, as a program. And he's also influenced a lot of other coaches in our area. And you can see that through, you know, how well we do in the 400 and the 200 and the four by four and the 800. And, um, I, I don't know if a lot of people saw that or not, but his young man that he had on the world team went 44, uh, anywhere between 4480 and 4490 on his split and brought back the Americans after they dropped the baton on the first to second exchange in the four by four. And that's a sophomore rising to a junior in high school. So this kid just was just able to start to drive, you know, he's 16 years old and he just split a 44 something, you know, so it's, it's really impressive. Now that's probably the best kid he's ever had, but he's had tons of other kids who have been able to accomplish equally great things. Um, you know, in, in many, many avenues and in track and field, not just the long sprints. What was it you were, ha- you were hand- hounding Gary Winkler for again? You were hounding him for some sort of program he had? Um, so you're talking about the program that he put together? Yeah. His, he had, so he had, a, he had a training pro program, which was really cool because it could design and put um, all the things together in a nice display and kind of set up your microcycles and your different phases of training. In a was really it like good- an Excel file or something? Um, so he, it was, no, it was, now everybody uses Excel. Uh, uh, Dylan Hicks has just put together a really awesome 
Excel program as of like two days ago that people can go out and buy. I don't get any money from it, but it, it literally does what Gary's program did on steroids in terms of how it sets stuff up and plans things out. But Gary's was the first incarnation of that and um, was just really neat because again, in Gary's mind, how he's able to build and construct these things and then display it in a usable way. Cause we like, we like pretty charts. Everybody loves a pretty chart. It's like, Ooh, look at all those shiny colors, you know, but <laughs> it, it, is that chart actionable? You know, does that data you yeah. get help you and steer you as a coach at all? And so that was what was, what was really cool about Gary. Now, since Gary's retired, um, he'll still, you know, he'll still sell that program and put that program together. But um, Dylan's is brand new and is very, very well organized and kind of takes the best of what Gary was doing and some others have tried to do and put it all together into one package. So it's, it's impressive. And so it's the first couple of days. So I'm still discovering things in this new uh, program that he's got. It's just amazing. Sadly, sadly. The amount of people that say Dan's been influenced is just like, like who has Dan not been a mentor to at some stage, you know, he's just an absolute legend. Well, and I think it, it speaks to Dan's willingness to share, you know, in a lot yeah. of other sports, people who are geniuses or they'll do the whole marketing scheme of here are three videos now if you just pay me this and a subscription fee of this then you can get the secrets to the world and and dan's more of a guy of you know you contact me and i got time you know because we only have so much time that's really our currency right um you know i will help you in in any way that i can and i will i will channel things your direction and he still even though you know, I've got my own thing going on. He'll still send me stuff periodically. And I imagine those are getting to other, Hey, did you see this research article? You asked me this question seven months ago and I was thinking of you and here's this research article that kind of answers this question for you. You know, I think you would enjoy it. And those are the types of things that, that Dan does. And I think that, you know, people talk about Dan's speech, you know, there's a certain language or techno can or, or verbiage that he uses. But I also think that that's deliberate. You know, if you think of cueing, and how we cue as coaches, I think he is not cueing athletes, he's cueing the coach, like, think about it like this. This is the bare bones way I can break this down. And I think that this is the way that I want people to understand it because words have power, you know? And I think that sometimes people don't necessarily understand that, that Dan's created this own language specifically to help us. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why he's been so influential because he's willing to share because of his unique perspective on things. Um, the way that he's been good in so many different avenues as a coach um, is really impressive. And, um, you know, he's kind of got this grandfatherly figure now, but uh, you know, Dan is, is very funny in person and very hilarious um, when you, when you speak to him, that was the biggest surprise when I got to spend some time with him face to face and, uh, he knows everybody, you know, I mean, probably the coolest thing that I've ever experienced in my life being a track nerd is when I walked onto the, you know, the campus over there, the community college where Altus trains in Phoenix and, and he recognizes me before I even get within 10 feet of him. He's like, Oh, Hey Ryan Banta, it's about time you got down here, you know? And I'm like, Dan knows me. <laughs> he knows who I am. <laughs> it's like the coolest experience ever. So he's just a really genuinely good guy and obviously very intelligent and very open to share, which, you know, I think has also helped other people be willing to share. Yeah. And I think that's really influential. Yeah, before we go any further, just a question that popped into my mind there. How did you find your experience at Altus? I, I interned there. I was there for three months from November 2016 to the end of February 17th. So I got to spend uh, three months with Stu and Jazz and Dan. And I was actually there when more of the extended staff were there too. So, you know, I, I know Chidi's still there and Andreas, but um, Dustin would have still been there. Mike Boykin, a few of them guys. But uh, I was mainly with Sue's group for the most part, which like, it was incredible. But I'm uh, interested to hear what your thoughts were when you then are presenting. And you, you, you were an attendee before that, were you, in 2016? Yeah, so I attended in 2016 and presented this fall. Um, and I, I put an article out there on uh, EliteTrack.com, you know, where you know, I wrote in a blog, you know, spending a week in track and field heaven. Yeah. And the fact that it, yeah, so the fact that it was uh, 2016 and, you know, that's an Olympic year, they had over 120 plus international athletes. And it was fun because they had, you know, people just coming out of college 
and then they had old crafty veterans, and then they even had some master athletes. I mean, there were guys that were training with Altus that were 80 years, you know, 80 years old out there in the Arizona desert running around. I mean, you talk about being inspired. Um, and what I liked about it is, you know, when you're a kid and the people that you see as your heroes and your fans of certain athletes and, and stuff like that, it's like, who would you want to see? What would you want your experience to be like? And the fact that you could, you know, they're, they're live at practice training and you can ask the coaches, well, why are you doing this? What's this about? What's your philosophy? And then to talk to the athletes, one of the coolest things I had was Greg Rutherford was down there at the time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just hang out around Greg and see what he does and just chat with him. And, you know, he and I had a silly conversation about bad tan lines and, and kids and becoming a father and, and all this kind of stuff in the midst of him, you know, doing a plyometric and a jump workout. And I just thought that that was one of the coolest things that openness and the willingness to weave in a curriculum um, throughout the day so that you could see how everything really fits together. Because it's one thing to explain t- to someone, here's our, here's our recipe on paper, but it's another thing to actually see it be done by a master cook and to understand the little bit of flair and the little bit of details that you don't get in translation on paper that you get live. It's demonstrated in front of you. And so it was, it was really cool. And I, I, I don't know how long they're going to do that program. You know, always things kind of get hot, you know, and then they don't, then they kind of lose their gusto over time. I hope they don't. I hope they can continue to maintain what they're doing and the program that they're doing. And I hope they can maintain attracting athletes to them because I think they're doing things the right way. Yeah you know, legally, and they're weaving in that sports science, but also therapies and, and everything. I mean, it's just mind blowing. It was track and field fantasy camp, you know, when little kids like back in the day would love to go see the Yankees and spend a week of spring training with them. Well, that's absolutely what Altus was for track and field. Hmm. It's funny, you know, you mentioned the master chef analogy, because it, it you know, gets that picture in my head of like, you know, you ever know, like your favorite dinner by your mother or your grandmother. And then when you go to cook, you're like, no, just, yeah. Why? Why can't I get it the exact same? Yeah. It's the exact same that when you go to watch like a stew or a dam with athletes, you're just like, how do they do that? What, yeah. what is it? They just get that recipe, just unbelievable. Yeah. It, it's like, nah, too much salt and that. Nah, that was. Well, let me tell you, I screw it up so bad that I'll make the whole family sick. So I always gotta test it to make sure <laughs> the rest of my family, you know, yeah, so it's yeah. not only does it does not taste good, it might not be safe. So I gotta be careful. You know, plus, my mom master, being an Italian, Master Chef is at this end, Salmonella is yeah. all the way down there. <laughs> I'm not too far off that end down there in the Salmonella. Yeah, don't poison them, you know. Don't and I think worry, that's the same thing I'm with in, coaching. I'm in that club myself, Ryan. So don't be worried about it. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the book. Um, final, final general question for you what are the good and the not so good things that you currently see within the entire coaching profession and before I let you go with that give me solutions for the not so good so the the not so well I guess let's go with the good the good thing is is that there's more opportunities to learn and to have um basically an education without having to leave your house. There's so much content out there. There's so many people willing to share in the world of track and field and in other places that you can learn a lot. The bad, one of the bad aspects of that though, is the fact that, well, how do you disseminate what is good and what is bad and what is useful and how it fits to your situation? Um, The other thing is, is that there is, in my opinion, a desire in our society and it fits in the world of track and field too, especially in America, is that we're kind of polarized. It's like either it's this or it's this, you know, and that's not the case at all. It's maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Have you thought about this? And so that polarization um, of, well, this is the way you got to go about it is just unfortunate. When people ask me about the book and they're like, hey, you know, what's the right way to go about it? It's like, well, it really is dependent upon your situation. You know, my book wasn't meant to give you a a single way. My book was to give you as many ways as I've been able to find. And then it's your job to kind of put that together. And I think that because everybody's willing to share and and do all that, you can get into quite a few really cool things. Unfortunately, though, you know, there's a lot of Instagram superheroes out there and people that are doing stuff through training and clips and videos and then you try to go out there and you know apply that to your system and it's like well you have no idea what was going on there you have no idea why they were doing
doing that workout, you have no idea what the progressions were. You don't know the training age of that individual. So those are things that, that I'm concerned about, you know, for sure. And then a big one, you know, is, is drugs in sport. And I know drugs in sport have been there for a long time. And it's kind of fatigued us to where anytime we see a great performance, we assume, well, that person's got to be on something. Well, that's not necessarily true, you know, but we got to be willing to draw the line in the sand and say, you know, we're going to still test this stuff. We're still going to, we're still going to, you know, fight this. We're still going to do our research on our end to try to catch the cheaters and narrow this stuff down as much as we can to limit, you know, that kind of feeling. And over time, hopefully we can start to feel that, yeah, we've kind of taken drugs out of the sport, but there is a group of people who are like, well, why do we even need to test anymore? You know, everybody should just do drugs and who cares about performances. And I'm like, because initially our sport all comes from physical education and the, it's young people who look up to these people. And do you really want to ask that young person when they become an 18 or 19 year old as an adult, Hey, in order for you to compete with these people, you've got to take EPO and, you know, insulin growth factor and some other crazy types of drugs and inject that stuff on a regular basis into your body just to keep up. And by the way, you might die or have a dramatic personality change depending on what you're putting in your body. And so for me, my solution is a, the more we can have better uh, education programs out there for coaches to probably mandatorily take, the better we are at sifting through the Instagram superheroes and the gurus and providing real people with real solutions who have, I don't want to say in the trenches because that's so cliche, but people who have a proven track record of not doping up their athletes. Um, people who do dope up their athletes should not be allowed to coach anymore in sport. You know, we have people in the United States that I don't need to mention names, but they're still coaching. And, you know, I can tell you that some of those people are not experts. They might've just been a really good pro themselves um, at some point, probably because they were doping also get those people out of our sport. You know, maybe, maybe you're a little bit more lenient on the athlete, you know, that you don't want to throw somebody out like we're our current system where, you know, it's like three strikes you're out or two strikes you're out, depending on what you got. And then you're finally out of sport. So because mistakes happen, you know, you drink an energy drink at Europe at some discotheque from some gal who's just all over you. And you're just like, man, this, this night's going in this direction. Okay. You know, and then all of a sudden you pop a positive test. Okay. I, maybe once I could believe that. <clears throat> so don't throw the athletes out necessarily permanently, but if they do that while they're athletes and then while they're coach, yeah, throw them out because they should know better at that time. You know, and uh, I think that we need to be a little bit more harsh with drugs and sport. And, you know, truth be told, if Usain Bolt is as fast as he is without drugs, okay, or let's say Usain Bolt was just a little bit slower, let's say he was on drugs, well, who cares? If he runs 989 or a 9 and he's the fastest man in the world, or he runs 969 and he's the fastest man in the world, when we look at that with our eyes, that's just as impressive. There's no difference in impressive, you know, um, other than the fact that we know that that athlete was clean or not, you know? So I think if we can get that out of the sport and start getting rid of coaches who've had a history of that permanently, I think that that would be very, very valuable. And uh, by the way, I'm not saying that I think, I think you saying for sure, I would, the thing I can guarantee is that he was the fastest man on the world drugs or not. Um, so, you know, and I'm a big fan of Usain Bolt and he's probably the reason why, you know, we have interest in our sports still. So, but the point is, is like Usain being just a little bit slower, just a little bit faster to the average viewer doesn't change anything as long as he's still the fastest man. So I think that's something that we need to think about from the coaching level of getting rid of those people. Mm, I love drugs though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking people, just for the people listening, that was just uh, that, that, that was kind of more so of my my own amusement than to get a reaction at Ryan, which I got. Uh, yeah, but I suppose the like what you said there is great. And on, I fully agree. Like my whole thing with, with drugs and steroids is if you're competing in a sport and they're and they're illegal, then you're a fucking bollocks for taking them. You shouldn't be taking them. End of story. But like if you're if you're just some dude who just nothing but just wants to get as big and strong and just look great. Knock your fucking self out. I don't give a fuck what you do. <laughs> but, 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 like, I'm saying, well, the reason I'm saying is that people, like, again, it's a real, like, everyone's like, well, what's your, like, because people would say to me, well, what do you think about drugs? And I was like, what do you mean? And, like, performance health drugs. I was like, 
was like, uh, it depends. And then they go, oh, what do you mean it depends? Well, if you're in a sport and they're like banned, yeah, don't fake them. You're being a prick. Um, but if you're, if you're like just like, and this is what I always say, if you're like just an average Joe or Jane or whatever, and you came to me and said, listen, I don't compete in sport, and I just want to see like how big and strong I can get, how ripped I can get, and all that, and you've done the following, you're over 25, because listen, your body and neurological system are still developing. Like when I get these 19 year olds and they're pumping hormones themselves, I'm like, do you realize? There's endocrinologists who fucking spend their whole life studying the system and they still don't know what the fuck's going on. And there you are, 19, <laughs> lashing some fucking stuff you bought off the black market online thinking you're great. So first of all, wait until you're fucking your system's grown. Yeah. Uh, you've actually trained hard. You've actually milked a bit of, a bit of gains. Mm-hmm. And this is the crucial part then, Ryan. You actually fucking know what you're doing. Like You actually have yeah. a bit of education and cop on about like how the body works, particularly the endocrine system. Uh, and then you actually can get like pharmaceutical grade proper stuff and you track your bloods and maybe like detox your liver every now and again. Yeah. So like, if you take those boxes, knock yourself out. But if you're yeah. in sport, like you're just being <laughs> bollocks. But listen, uh, the, the more skeptical me as well, is well, like, like that's all great, like banning coaches and all. But I mean, sure, the people who are meant to be dispensing the tests and banned, I mean, sure, you just go here. I'll give you a bit of money. You won't say a thing with it. And like, yeah, no, I won't. What do you give me? 10, 20 grand? I won't say a thing there. So, like, yeah. it, it's the people in the higher organizations too, as well, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's, that's one of the things that's a problem. And I think that it's like, all right, so those people are hard to, to nail down. Those are people that are hard to track. Um, the athletes, they're young, they're dumb. They, they might not be 25 yet. You know, you could be yeah. world class at 15 as, years as, old. As Paul, as Paul check says, young, dumb, and full of cum. Right, right. And so you've got to make sure that, um, you know, the people who are the, the mentors are, are making the, the best decisions that they possibly can because yeah, they're the yeah. ones who are probably besides their parents or friends are influencing them the most. And I, I hear you, you know, Hey, if people want to do certain things like, what's the science say about HGH for men that hit 40 years old like me, you know, and can it extend life or does it increase chances of cancer? Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Um, But what I could tell you is that for me, that's a lot of stuff to have to consider before we start, we start doing those things. And I remember a long time ago, there was a doctor in the St. Louis area who was on TV. He was one of those TV doctors they always bring in for different interesting stories in the medical profession. And a lot, I'm not going to say who he is because, you know, still a lot of people probably know who he is. But um, he, uh, he used to tell my dad at the gym all the time, he's like, oh man, you know, Paul Banta, if you do a couple cycles of roids, you'd be really big. And my dad's like, Jesus Christ, man, I'm, I'm 289 pounds and I have a, a 19 inch neck. I can't fit any shirts that don't look like a blouse. You know, <laughs> how much bigger do I need to get? I can't sleep on, on my side because I, my head sits about six, six feet off the ground, you know? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, so what am I supposed to do? Well, and then this doctor, Mr. Genius, He's like, oh, yeah, if you cycle on and off this stuff, he goes, you're fine. You know, you can live forever. And the guy died at 50 of a massive heart attack. And he was well, when, when someone tells you you can live forever, I already know they're talking bullshit. Cause yeah. And <laughs> uh, no, I, I would say you're wrong there. I don't think <laughs> you can live forever. That's kind of impossible. Get the fuck away from me. Yeah. <laughs> Take your story walking, man. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is good banter. Good banter with banter. Huh? I love it. Come here. Yeah. Anyway, that's fantastic stuff right now. Let's let's get into this book. I'm intrigued by this whole process. The reason why, too, is because I remember years ago, I was like, I actually thought about a very similar book, but it was more to do like with strength and condition. At the time, I was like, I, I always get to see, like, oh, I'll get like book chapter. Louis will be a book chapter. And fucking Chrissy Thibodeau will be a book chapter, and Pollock will be one, and Boyle will be one, and you know, that's what I was thinking back in my head back in the day, you know? Right. Um, so, like, it, when I saw the, the Spinners Compendium, I was like, I really like what you've done, and how you laid it out to you, saying that you kind of like laid it out in how, how you nearly formalized the session, you know? But mm-hmm. so, what was, the, how did this start? Well, like, what was, the, what was the light bulb moment where you were like, ah, I want to do this, and then tell us about the whole process? Well, so, you know, I always felt like, um, cause you know, the social media aspect of it was in its infancy when I started coaching and I always was desiring, you know, again, we talked about the, the coach being kind of ignorant saying, just tell me what to do and when to do it and how to do it, please, please, please. And, um, you know, I, I bought Gary's program that we talked about and, and Gary had a bunch of modules that he showed at his, uh, at the USATF level two, these packages of workouts. I'm like, Oh my God, it would be so great 
to get those packages of workouts. That'd be so helpful. And then I would just know what to do, when to do it. And so when I bought the program, I begged him to, you know, provide me some of those modules that he had constructed for his own coaching. And one of the key things he said to me is he goes, Ryan, he goes, here are the workouts and, and everything that we do. He goes, um, but these workouts are probably going to provide you more questions than they're going to provide you answers. And at the time I was like, ah, to hell with that. You know, I'm like, I want to know this stuff. Thank you for giving it to me. But you know, now I'm going to be this genius coach because I'm going to have all this stuff. And sure enough, he was right because he's way smarter than me and way wiser than me. You know, as I went through the years, I'm like, oh my God, I was misapplying that workout. Now that I actually know what that acronym means that he was using in that, in that two by 20 ASSE, whatever acronym he used, I'm like, oh, okay. Now I know that that was a lactic speed, speed endurance or whatever. I'm like, now I know that that that's the purpose of that workout. But three years ago, I had no idea because I'd never seen that acronym that he had put it together or, or why he was using this module of workouts at this time. And then there was another one that he put together that was just slightly different later. And I had no idea of the concepts. And so he was teaching me, <laughs> you know, through, you know, through the wisdom that he had provided so many years ago that, hey, you know, this is really what it is. And you're constantly going back and learning about that. So Dan Path, would talk about uh, Dyson's book about mechanics and how every year he would go back and that was an essential read just to remind him of the things because you know Dan's one of those coaches that he's forgotten more maybe I, I doubt it but than other people have ever learned you know and well, think, he's not he's not that smart yeah <laughs> so you know we look at those type of things and it's like okay you know where is that book and so Carl Valley and I, and Carl's a pretty controversial figure in the world of uh, strength and conditioning because he's so opinionated and his, you know. He's, he's, he's hilarious, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, he and I got into a few conversations over a decade ago. Well, where is this book? You know, where is the, because, you know, there's Dr. Daniel's running formula, which is really great. But we wanted to create a book like that for, for sprinting. Mm -hmm. And, okay, so cool. So let's, let's try to do that. Well, how do we do that? Well, I had already started writing all these blogs and I figured, well, why don't I center everything on my experiences and the mistakes that I made and then apply that to the different aspects of track training. Let's put this book together in the order of how a practice should go, not necessarily what you do in the practice, but where you should do things in the practice. Mm -hmm. And then from there say, okay, this is my experiences and the things I learned that I thought were good. And the things that I learned, like, please don't ever do this because you'll look like an idiot coach. Don't be me. And then the science that backs that up and then following the science, you know, okay, here are the workouts to do that are based off of my anecdotal knowledge and what science says. And then finally, you know, putting together, um, you know, what these other coaches had about those different aspects of practice and what were their opinions. So you go through all of this and then you get a compare and a contrast, almost a critique of different methods that I was applying. And then you as the coach make your decision on what you think, you know, is the best choice. And that because again, it really depends on your circumstance, your environment, the athletes you're working with and, and all of that. And so then it was like, okay, but this is going to be a compendium. Well, that, that word means all encompassing, you know, of a certain aspect, you know, so now I'm going to have to go write this book. Well, I thought, yeah, I'll get this book done in two or three years. No problem you know, and uh, it took five because it just kept growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and the thing's massive, you know, it's, it's five and a half pounds, you know, so I don't know what that is. in, in it's a fucking, that's, a, that's an early delivery of a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a lot. premature child you have there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a lot of, it's a lot of fuel on a jet. That's for sure. Wow. I know it costs that much, but um, yeah. And, and so as I was going through the process, people were like, oh, you need to get this thing done. You need to get this thing out. And Steve Magnus, who wrote the science of, of running. I know, I know Steve very well. He's yeah. one of my lecturers in my master's course. I was only with Steve last month. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah. Steve's, Steve's one of those guys too, willing to share out there, willing to share his mistakes. He's fucking hilarious too. He doesn't, yeah, he's, I love him. He's just, he's just, he happens to like, doesn't take himself too serious, even though he's very intelligent, obviously. Oh yeah. And he is really, he's another guy who's even funnier in person um, than he may come off as, you know, in his writings or his videos or, or whatever. He's hilarious. But, but he and I talked a long time ago when I was kind of, a, I guess, maybe year two of doing this. And I asked him, I said, what would be the one thing that you would give me as advice when it comes to putting a book together? And he said, don't 
don't create unrealistic deadlines. Like take whatever time you need to get this thing done. So that way it can be to your liking and you can feel good about it. And so I was like, all right. So I, you know, I took, you know, five years to get this thing done. So more than an Olympic cycle. Yeah. But uh, um, Gary, Gary Thompson thing took five years to write good calories, bad calories. Yeah. And then it ends up being absolute horseshit. <laughs> 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 like, you know, when he went, you know, because he's like, it's all about carbs. And like, and like, it was like, actually, right. no, there's more to it. Right. <laughs> I know, in fairness to Gary Thompson, that book did bring a lot of good things to light, like how the food pyramid, the food industry acts and all that. So, yeah. Well, hopefully people don't think my book's horse crap, you know, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> after five years, that's for sure. So definitely not, definitely not. No. So uh, you did a great presentation at Altus. It's on 360. And listen, I always say this to any listeners: if you're not on 360 and you're a coach and you want to be serious about your craft, fucking pay the subscription to that. It's actually two hundred dollars a year now, and it's absolutely—you'll never get through all the material on it. It's just phenomenal. Um, well, you gave a great presentation on that, Ryan, about the book. Um, and you went into five distinct programs. Mm-hmm. You spoke an awful lot about it depends, and like uh, we kind of already touched on that, so we don't really need to keep going back to that. But we know, listen, everything does depend. It's only at this stage where I'm like, do people need to be told that? Like, do people actually really need to be told that it depends? It, apart from like someone who's only like literally in the field six months, right? But uh, you spoke about these five different major programming types that came about. So I loved Chris Corpus. He was like, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so we spoke about the minimalist approach, which was Chris Corfus and Tony Holler. Mm-hmm. Two other nutballs as well. And <laughs> then we have Adapt or Die, which I love the, the statement of that. Then we had the concurrent approach, yourself and Tony Hurst. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had Long to Short, um, which was mainly popularized by Clyde Hart. And then we have the Flow State. Now, one question I will ask you is that, like, Dan and Stu's model is very concurrent as well. So, like, when, when you get to answer that, what is, like, what would the real difference between concurrent and flow state, like, that you saw there? Well, so that's kind of the deal, right? So, like, <clears throat> obviously, every coach fits a certain system. Um, but the coach who's a master coach, who's a flow state coach, which we'll get into it, I guess, but they, they understand, like, well, this system doesn't work over here. This system doesn't work for this specific type of athlete. Yeah. You know, and again, I know that when we say the all depends concept is, is something that's obvious. It's like, you know, when, when people say, you know, that relationships are about love, you know, and everybody's like, like you were joking earlier off, off conversation. And everybody's like, Oh, you know, like amazed by these statements. I think it is good to, to remind them. And so, yeah, I would say that, you know, Dan is concurrent, but, to the to the system that he uses for the for the event and for the for the athlete itself so it's one of those things where you know it it could be applied here and you could say that dan fits into this world the most often into the system the most often but that doesn't mean that he's so wedded to that system and because he does understand that all depends concept Mm -hmm. that he would apply other methods somewhere else you know, and, and then we get into the, we can go out into the weeds and talk about, well, what's traditional of this method or what's not. Because if you say something, you know, like, oh, hey, I'm going to go run a 450 in practice today. They're like, oh, it's long to short. Why are you doing that? It's like, well, no, not necessarily because I'm not doing a huge volume of that. I might just do one of those. Yeah. You know, don't, don't think that a long interval is, is, is like something to avoid at all costs, you know, because eventually your athlete has to run the distance. They have to race the distance. Um, so, yeah, those were the – because I and, – and I was really challenged because Andreas said, hey, we want you to find some commonalities. And I'm like, dang it, Andreas. I'm like, this is – the whole book was, was not a commonality. Yeah, yeah it was with the contrast. Yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it was so hard. I was like, man, let me talk about culture or, or acceleration or, or something that I could, I could really nail down. So it, was a, it stretched me quite a bit to figure out, okay, what, you know, where, what hemispheres, if you will, do these coaches kind of fit in? And then you kind of look at where are their influences at? Because when I put that one chart up there on. Yeah, the- yeah, with all the linking together. Yeah, it's funny, yeah. you were saying, you were saying there was coaches going, I wasn't influenced by him. You're like, hold on, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Let me explain the graph, goddammit, first. <laughs> and that made a lot of people mad. You know, it's funny. 
what gets people fired up and excited. And I was like, cause you know, like coach Bush, you know, you look at him and you're like, well, that's like a high volume guy that people are like, well, that's, that's a sprint guy. He didn't do it. It's like, no, he did high volume of, of plyometrics and jumping kills, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, you know, and if you do a lot of that stuff, you'll probably get a lot better, but you could also break, you know, so you got to figure out like what, what the system is. And it's really interesting when people heard my critiques on Altus 360, some of these people are like, well, that's not really this. And they started to defend their system. And I go, absolutely. I'm so proud that you understand your system so well and, and you're willing to defend it and you can, you can limit the problems of your system as much as possible. I said, that's awesome because as a good coach, you've figured out here's the negative outcomes of what I'm doing and here's what I've decided to fix it. But uh, coaches who are taking your recipe for the first time, they're probably going to run into those things and why not make them aware of, we can do this, but it might cause these things to happen. So be aware ahead of time that in this system, this is the weakness. This is something we have to pay attention to all the time. And if you do that, then your system becomes more robust and you can keep an athlete from getting hurt or, you know, truncating their development. Like if you're in a minimalist system, you know, no matter what anybody tells me, um, you're not going to be as good in some other, some other longer stuff, you know, as you could be. Now that doesn't, now you're going to keep them healthy, which maybe means they run fast when they need to run fast at the end. And there might've been a whole line of bodies of dead athletes, not really dead, but broken athletes in a long to short system that you'll never know how good they were because they never got to the finish of the season, yeah, yeah. you know? And so that was kind of the concept that I found really interesting through the reaction afterwards, you know, but I would agree with you on the Altus 360 that <clears throat> everybody who's a coach should, should be a part of that because you're going to get challenged. There's oh, really? so many different people they bring in. And I mean, Altus just as a, as a concept is really cool. And so when they bring those people in for that curriculum and those poolside chats, which aren't by a pool anymore, but uh, they're in a conference room. It's because it's fucking hot in Arizona. Even during their winter, it's fucking yeah. <laughs> Wait, it's 101 degrees. Out. Oh, it's a dry heat. Yeah, okay. It's still freaking hot. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so those things are what I found really interesting as we went through. And what's neat is that once I was able to put those concepts together for me through that presentation, it also helped me have some clarity on, oh yeah, that is a strength of the system or that is a, a weakness of the system. Well, let's see how this plays out this yeah. spring with coaches who are using these systems that I know. And it was pretty interesting, not all the time because coaches are, some coaches are really good at adapting. But there were those things that that churned out. You know, if you're in the adapted die system, there were a lot of athletes that were in the adapted die system that ran really fast early, and then got hurt, yeah. um, or they can't they can't run fast back to back days um, in the short to short system. You know, hey, the, the the school broke the state record in the in the four by one. Awesome. They didn't qualify to state in the four by four. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like you have those type of kids in, in the four by four, and that's okay. It's totally okay that you don't qualify in the four by four. And that's not an insult it, because training, the biggest thing that I want people to understand when I did this presentation is that training has consequences, you know? So like I had this year with my high school team, it was in a rebuilding year. We graduated a bunch of seniors the year before who all went on to college and I had 14 kids competing in college from my high school program at one time, um, mm. different graduating classes. And I'm really proud of that. It was the most I ever had. But I knew we were on the downward slide a little bit because of the fact that, you know, we graduated so many kids. But I knew I had kids that were rising in the program. And you doubt yourself sometimes because training has consequences. You're like, well, maybe this year will be the year that I'm proved wrong, you know, that I, I can't get this done. And sure enough, to our credit, you know, we, we qualified to state in the four by one, four by two, four by four, and we were all state in all three events, you know, and some people are like, oh, well, Banta doesn't have an individual sprint champion, so he doesn't really understand this stuff. No, I have four people on one relay, another four people on another relay, and another four people on the other relay. All three relays are different combinations. So you're talking about the potential of 12 kids at one high school that could have a state medal. Now, some of those kids crossed over but I had good alternates to go with them in the four by one. We have uh, district sectionals and state. That's the process you qualify. Yeah. And I had three different combinations 
one combination at districts, another combination at sectionals, and another combination at state. So I literally had two four by ones that were almost all state worthy, you know, and uh, besides fumbling a baton in the four by one, you know, we were in second, we fumbled the baton. But in prelims, we ran our fastest time in this, you know, the season in the four by one, four by two is like the second fastest time ever in our four by four, which, you know, I'm a concurrent guy. We PR'd for the season by over two and a half seconds with the same combination of kids. And we made the finals when we came in ranked, you know, uh, 15th and we made the top eight, you know. And so you, you have the things that you have in your year and you apply the methods, the, the, the classics, if you will, to the different event groups that you work with. And you hope over time through your smarts that you can minimize the weaknesses of each of those systems so that those kids can flourish at the end because training has consequences. And that's the key. You know, don't try to get wrapped up into this is a system that I run or that's a system that I run. It's more about these are the systems that I run when these situations present themselves. And if, when I do run these systems, there will be weaknesses that I have to pay attention to over here, but I'm, I'm weighing the pluses and minuses to go with this system to benefit my athletes the most where I can grab the most athletes. Mm. Just with, with the five systems that you did cover in your talk at Altus, maybe just <coughs> give the listeners a bit of a run through each one. Cause what I really did sure, like, about absolutely. It, what I really liked about that and you kind of touched on there too, was that you gave your own pros and cons after each one. And you sure. kind of, look, you kind of looked into why these systems would work. And in, and then you also looked into like situations where they wouldn't work. So like, for instance, I know with, and you can talk with this, and I'll just give this one example, and then you can take it from there. You were talking, like, with the short, the, the short, short, like, from Chris and Tony Holler, like, well, look at where they are. Like, look at the, look at the environment they're in. They're, they're up, right. you know, where are they? They're in uh, Michigan, are they? Are they over there? Are they over there? They're in Illinois, but close. Illinois, close. Lake, yeah. Lake Michigan connects both of them, though. Yeah, <laughs> Illinois. So you were saying they've got winters, so that they right. have to use more indoor facilities, which means they have to do more short and tight-based stuff. And you're like, and look at the success they have. They usually have it in shorter sprints, whereas you said right. it longer, so it wasn't quite successful. So I, I like the way you kind of dug, dug in with that sort of investigation and, and came to some of those sort of conclusions like your own conclusions that but it was still very good so yeah maybe just run us through the the minimalist the adapter die the concurrent long short and then the flow state and kind of go through the, the way the process you talk i thought that was very good yeah so with the short to short system and that was coined by you know corfist who's the guy who does it so i'm going to go with the the name that he, he calls it you know you're looking at a lot of what are the things that you're trying to improve and focus on that entirely and that don't worry about messing with some of these other things that have never really proven to make anyone absolutely faster. You know, what I mean by that is absolute speed, the highest amount of, you know, kilometers per hour or miles per hour that we can put on, on the clock. And so they spend a lot of time working on acceleration and they spend a lot of time on flying zonal runs, you know, where you're going 10, 20 or 30 as fast as you can. And then they, they try to hold their athletes accountable through testing. So Tony Holler, who's the other side of the coin with Chris, you know, yeah, yeah. And so that, that's, and no matter what system you're in, that's extremely valuable. Mm. You know, like I, I post our results all the time and I'm sure some people are probably like, oh, that's not really that fast. And it's like, hey, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to show you because not only do I want you guys to see, I'm not afraid to show you where we're strong or where we're weak. And our strength as a program is our depth. You know, I feel like I'm doing a really good job because we have a lot of kids doing great things, even in the years that I don't have a genetic freak. And in the years I have a genetic freak, you're in trouble, you know, and, and that's okay. And I'm okay with that over the long term of the career. And so I like that idea of rank record publish. That should be applied to all of these systems. So, but they also want their athletes to be happy. You know, you talk about happy life, happy wife, happy life, happy athletes, you know, you're going to have a, an enjoyable experience. Now, the key is how do you make them happy, but at the same time, get something done of value so your kids can improve. And that's kind of the whole premise of their short to short system. I mean, they give kids complete days off. And I know that's a duh moment, but as a high school coach, traditionally in our, in the States, you know, you're training five or six days a week. Now that doesn't mean you're going out there and running 10, 400s every day and three, 500s and then six, six, 1600s or something insane like that. But you're doing something you know, every day after school and then a lot of times on Saturday. Well, Tony Holler, he just sends his kids home. Tony yeah, so, so Tony gives those days off to the athletes because neurologically, 
they're pounding pretty hard and the body needs to recover from those absolute sprints. And um, so that was a key to the system. And then they used the track meets in the indoor outdoor season to try to really um, maximize their, their lactic workouts and things like that. So that's kind of the key to what they do. Um, and then the, you want me to go on about the uh, adapt or die? Well, just maybe I'll tell you what, touch on um, like the kind of the pros and cons there of that minimus minus approach and kind of like why it, it works in their situation and not maybe, you know, others can kind of go back to environments. I thought that was true. Sure. Again, I hear, take, don't, don't rush it. Take your time. I know we've got a few minutes left. Just take your time. Yeah. So uh, we can just, I, like, uh, yeah, we can do part twos and trees and whatever, like, you know what I mean? So don't know if you're rushing. So I would, I would say that, you know, with the, with the system that they have, because they're up in the north uh, part of the United States, it snows all year round. And uh, <laughs> I mean, not really, but it feels like it. I went to college in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and, and it literally started snowing in October. And there was some sort of snow on the ground or in the parking lot at my college all the way up until May. Oh, if you're in that, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. And so if you're in that environment, you know, hopefully you have indoor tracks. And most of the Chicago suburbs do. Um, and they have high school indoor tracks. So every high school in that area that's over like 1,500 people has some sort of indoor facility where they can run. And that allows them to sprint over those really, really short distances. So using your environment to your advantage is, well, what can I do to make these people as fast as possible? Well, I can do plyometrics and I can run maximum velocity flying sprints. And it's in an enclosed environment, so it can be really intense and we can challenge them. And so I think that's why they've done that. And additionally, they have uh, an indoor season that's like an official, pretty much an official indoor season. And they even have a state championship that's not called the state championship. They call it a fast times meet, I think is what it's called. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it, you have to qualify for it in the high schools in Illinois, consider it to be the indoor state championship. So because of all those factors, they're able to, uh, you know, put that together and, and the environment allowed them to develop this system that really benefits them. Now, the, the negatives of that is, is that you're not going to get a lot of lactic work. Well, unless you're a lactic athlete, that probably doesn't matter. But if you're trying to go longer, if you're trying to run the 300 hurdles, the 400 dash, the four by four, the four by eight, you're, you're going to have a, a little bit harder time. Now, that doesn't mean those teams don't run fast in those events. They absolutely do. But the consistency of having an athlete that can do those events or have four by eights and four by fours that are really good is going to be a little bit harder. Doesn't mean you're not going to be successful because you might be a good coach that can figure out how to work around that. But it, it's not the easiest path to getting better at that. But you do keep the athletes happy and you are going to be really, really good at the 60, the 100, and you can stretch them a little bit to the two. And um, Tony Holler's team went 126-18 in the four by two. And a lot of people don't know what that time means, but that's like one of the fastest times in the United States uh, in the four by two in the spring um, because of that system. So you can absolutely run as a group pretty fast in the 200. And he had four guys that could do it. So there's still value there. So that's kind of the, the way that they set that up. Before you started the book, did you know uh, about Chris and Tony? Like, had you, had you heard about those guys? Like, how, how did you come across them? Yeah, so in the process of that five years, that was the, that was the group that surprised me the most because I had not really known about those guys. And then over that course of five years, they kind of rose up as people that were extremely interesting and people that were being referenced quite a bit in the coaching world. And I had no idea about Tony uh, until Chris and then Tony Holler's got a huge following too. And so that was what was really cool about doing the process of the book is discovering these different people with very, very different ideas about training. And I was like, man, I got to get these guys in here because there's such a contrast to a lot of what you would quote unquote traditional types of sprint coaching. Their ideas are just, just kind of mind blowing. And lo and behold, they're having all this success and coaching a lot of really, really fast folks. So I got to get them into the book. And so, yeah, th that was one of the cool things about the process of making the book was the discovery of all these different people in the speed world that are really doing great things at their level, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, that's what I tried to do with the book too, is to have high school coaches, youth coaches, professional athletes, you know, professional coaches and college coaches so that anyone who's in a certain stage in their process 
has someone that they can kind of reach out to or, or build a relationship with either through the book or, Hey, I read this in this book. Would you be willing to talk to me further about this? Because the track and field community is so open. I feel like synergistically I've, I've brought a lot of people together in one space and created a lot of digital handshakes, if you will, Mm. um, with, with these people. And that's been probably the biggest joy that I've had is, you know, having people like Tony Holler, know about Sean Burris and they're like polar opposites in their training, but yet they're producing great results, you know, at the same time in their own areas. And that's pretty neat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Just to wrap up uh, this episode anyway, uh, yes, go into adapt or die. I love the, I love sure. the, the, the name you gave it, but I, uh, touch on adapt or die and we'll, we'll call it there for the day and then we'll pick it up. Then with so, the final trick. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. So Tony Wells um, has passed. He's he's passed on, but he was he hasn't passed on because he still lives in the the tutelage and lives of all the coaches that he touched and he worked with. And so a group, a, a large group, especially in the college world of sprint coaches, have uh, Tony Wells as as one of their mentors that they keep referring back to. And when looking at, and that was a little, it took a little bit more work to really figure out like. Well, what does this system look like? Mm. And so this system used to be probably considered the minimalist system until Chris Corfus and Tony Holler even pushed the barrier even more. Um, but the obviously when you hear adapt or die, well, wow, that's a, that's a powerful statement. And the idea is, is that they're going to push the things that make you the best in the world of speed and power. We're going to continue to work on your absolute speed but we're also going to push your stretch shortening reflex through plyometrics and we're going to push your, your maximal strength in the weight room. And that's kind of the premise are those three things. And we're going to go high intensity all the time in those three things. And then we're going to follow that up with obviously lots of recovery, but the recovery isn't like in the middle of the week. It's like, we're going to hammer this week. And then we're going to hammer the next three or four weeks. And then we're going to take like a complete week off to either, you know, test a recovery, you know, training effect, um, or we're going to just allow the, the athlete to recover. Because when you're pushing that high intensity all the time in the weight room and plyometrics and on the track, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you will get people hurt. I mean, when somebody says adapt or die, <laughs> you know, it's like either you're going to get better through the system or we can't help you. You know, you're going to be left in the fiery building and we're going to save everyone else we can, you know, and um, it's and it's been used by Carol Smith Gilbert, um, Curtis Taylor up at Oregon and obviously Tony Wells himself and uh, Hannah Cunliffe's uh, dad, Mike, uses that system quite a bit. And obviously, if you guys don't know who Hannah is, she was the, you know, national champ indoors in the 60s. She's a sub 1100 meter woman and her sister is a 14 plus foot pole vaulter. Uh, and is, uh, I think, a record holder as a sophomore in the pole vault in the United States. And so, and then the brother is a basketball player at Kansas University. And, uh, you know, Mike's also coached a number of other kids and high school athletes out in the northwestern part of the United States. And so they lift heavy. They do depth. And when I talk about plyometrics, you know, we're talking about depth jumping as being a key component of those plyos. So, you know, when you're dropping from, from pretty high heights and, you know, amortizing the muscles and firing back out. They use depth jumps as probably a key to that plyometric system. Again, it's not just doing extended bounding because everybody's like, well, we all bound. It's like, yeah, but you're not doing them from the heights and uh, the the drops that these guys are. You know, the idea is we're going to load you up big time and we're going to follow that up with also big time recovery. And um, therapists are an important part of that. You've got to have what I always call a justice league of therapy people that you have to support you so you can send your athletes to them when these things prop up. And they've done a good job of that um, in their particular, you know, realms where they're coaching. Right, Banta? Yeah, I'm here. Thank, thank you. Oh, I know, I know you're out <laughs> Thank you so much for making time today. Listen, I've got many more questions for you. Okay? You know, I want to get into some of the biggest lessons you've learned so far in, in your career want to ask you for your top and current book recommendations, want to ask for your top resources, life advice, and I have one or two other questions I want to want to ask you that I ask uh, most of my guests that come on. So uh, you have a week, actually. If you go to some of my podcasts, you might be able to prepare for some of the surprise questions. 
Um, well, listen, that was great. Uh, I want to get back on. We'll finish up talking about the concurrent approach, which is the one that you utilize mostly. Again, I know it depends. It doesn't mean that you're, you're you know, you swear, you know, read and die by that. But you were saying that that's kind of uh, one you're most familiar with. Then we'll talk about Clyde Hart and, and the guys who've used long to short, and then obviously the flow state with the guys at Altus, so like Dan and Stu and Andreas and whatnot. So I'll definitely get you back on. We'll, we'll schedule in some time. Hopefully we can get it next week. I'm, I'm free as a bird anyway. But just for uh, any of the listeners, this will be part one with Ryan Banta. Um, Ryan, just quickly give your details there, you know, yourself. How can people contact you and about the book? Sure. So you can go on www.sprinterscompendium.com to find more information about the book. There you'll find a link to uh, my company that does print-on-demand called Bravante. And you can get the book there. You can also you, get the you book. You own Bravante? No, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, just the company I use. I'm sorry. Yeah, when yeah. I say my, I say my kids that I, and, and then they say, well, how many kids you got? And so I have two children, but I have a lot of kids that coach. I know what you say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so you can go there. It's also on amazon.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Sprinters Compend um, and look me up there. I put a lot of content up there and mm -hmm. uh, I also have a YouTube page, Phantasmo.1978. Um, and I put a lot of video content. What in. a great name! What a great yeah. name! That'll be uh, that'll be on the show notes, by the way. So the the link to the website where people can get the book, and just also for Kindle lovers, you can actually get the book on Kindle too if you want to save Absolutely. save getting a premature baby shipped to your house. Yes, <laughs> it'll save you the the sixty five dollars in gas money, you know, to yeah. fly it out there to you overseas. Right. Thanks, man. Uh, stay online there, and I just wrap this up. So for everyone listening, as always, thanks for listening, share this around, thanks for downloading. If you can leave reviews and all that, great stuff on iTunes, that would be greatly appreciated. But for now, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm -hmm.